Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, we worship you, we ask, Lord, now as we go to your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us this morning. And thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. And Lord, I pray you minister to every heart. Make this the most attentive hour of our week. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said... So as we begin a new book, I'm going to take about 10 minutes or so to give you a little background and an overview. But 1 John, for many people, is their favorite letter in the Bible. When I talk to people, this is a letter that people really, really love. Now, the author of 1 John is not John the Baptist. It's John the Apostle. He and James were called the Sons of Thunder. John was also the one that wrote the Gospel of John. And he also is the one, we'll get to it in a couple months here, he wrote the book of Revelation. And so John is, the, at this time, more than likely the last living apostle. More than likely at this point, all the apostles have been martyred. We know that by the time he writes the book of Revelation, uh, history tells us that they tried to kill John by boiling him in oil, but he wouldn't die because God wasn't done with him yet, Amen. He still needed to write the book of Revelation. So this is who John is, and he's writing this letter in a time where the church is 50 to 60 years past when Jesus ascended into heaven, and already there's false teachers coming in like crazy, and people are proclaiming a new word from God. By the way, if it's new, it's not true. If it's true, it's not new. Amen? The word of God is the truth. We don't need to add to it or take away from it. But we're going to see that this is one of the most direct letters, and he doesn't even make it like a letter. It's almost like a sermon, because he doesn't even greet them when he writes it. He just hits the ground running. And here's what I imagine. He's hearing about all of this, and one of the things that was really prevalent in that time, there was a group called the Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics were those, the word Gnostic just means knowledge, and they thought they had new knowledge and new wisdom. And one of the things that they taught is that Jesus only came in spirit, that he was like a phantom. They believed that you could separate the, you know, the godly spirit from the ungodly flesh. And they also taught that you can do whatever you want in your flesh. You can sleep around, you can do, you can do whatever you want in your flesh because it doesn't impact your spirit. Boy, what a bunch of nonsense that is. But they taught this repeatedly and the word got out that they were teaching that Jesus wasn't actually in a physical human body. Hey guys, there's nothing new under the sun. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus was Michael the archangel coming to earth. The Mormons teach that Jesus and Satan, Lucifer, were brothers. And he was a created being, not the creator. So the same thing was happening. Can you imagine though the apostle John, who refers to himself in the gospel of John as the disciple that Jesus loved? And a lot of people thought, well, that's arrogance for him to say, well, I'm the one that he loves. I think it was more written from the part of, I can't believe he loves me. He knows everything about me and he loves me anyway. And so we know that at the Last Supper, it tells us that he was laying his head on Jesus's chest. He spent three years with the Lord. He heard every sermon. He saw every miracle. He was up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He was with Jesus when he went into to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And he was the last one and the only one who was still at the cross when Jesus died. And then Jesus told him to take care of his mom. 
And John took Mary into his home and cared for her like his own mother. And can you imagine when John hears this nonsense that Jesus wasn't in a body? That Jesus was just a phantom. It was just a spirit that hovered among the earth. And you know what? He said, I laid his head, my head on his chest. I went to the tomb and I saw him after the tomb and I felt the nail prints in his hands. And so he's writing this letter. Again, we know it's the Holy Spirit that writes it through him, but I have an idea. He sat down with a pen, uh, pretty adamant to straighten some people out. Amen. He sat down and said, what are you talking about? We need to get the truth out there. And you know what, guys? The same is true today. There are people that teach all kinds of nonsense. They have all kinds of, you know, a new message from the Lord, or they contradict the word of God. And I want you to know that there's no more provable fact in human history than the resurrection of our Savior from the dead. That Jesus Christ died, he rose from the dead. We date our checks today, 2022, 2022, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord. Who is that? That's Jesus. They admit that Jesus existed every time they write down the date. Amen? All the other prophets of the world are dead. We can dig up their bones, all the false prophets. But Jesus Christ is a risen living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. And that's the God that we serve. Amen? We don't serve a dead God. We serve a risen and living Savior. So he's writing this at a time when apostolic, the apostles' doctrine, was being challenged by a proliferation of false teachers. Again, most specifically, these Gnostics. These guys who think they know something. By the way, Gnostic means knowledge. Agnostic means without knowledge. Have you ever met an agnostic? They'll tell you, well, I'm not an atheist. I'm an agnostic. And they're like arrogant about the fact that they don't know anything. Because <laughs> agnostic means without knowledge. And there's another translation for agnostic, direct translation, ignoramus. I'm an ignoramus. Hey, guys, here's the reality. That agnostics need to hear about Jesus. Amen. They need to be born again. Atheist means theos is God, and atheist means I don't believe in God. Agnostic means I don't have any knowledge. I don't get it. So the main theme, one of the main themes of this book is fellowship. And we're going to see as we look through it, conditions for fellowship. You know, fellowship means to have in common. The word there is koinonia. And guys, you know what we have in common? We have Jesus in common. We have the same Holy Spirit living inside of us. Blood is thicker than water, but the Holy Spirit's thicker than blood. Guys, every time we have church, it's a family reunion. Amen? Because we all come together. We have the Lord in common. We're going to spend it. By the way, we should be getting along now because we're going to be hanging out with each other for all eternity. Amen? And so I, I love the, this, the, again, the picture of fellowship and why it's so important. And we'll see conditions of fellowship that we walk in the light, confession of sin, obedience to his commandments, love for one another. We'll see the cautions of, the fel of fellowship, which is the love of the world. You know what gets us away from the Lord is loving the world, getting so caught up in the things of the world. You've heard me say it, that we're to be in the world, but not of the world. The boat's in the water, but don't let the water in the boat. Amen. We minister to the world. Another thing is the spirit of antichrist. And then we're going to see the behavior of fellowship. This is in the final three chapters when we get there. And the characteristics of fellowship are purity of life, the practice of righteousness, love in deed and in truth, the testing of the spirits. How do we test when we hear something? By the way, the prophets, I keep getting calls, oh, the prophets are coming to town. You should have them at your church. I've got 66 books full of prophets right here. Amen. And we don't need any prophets. Amen. 
Anybody who calls himself a prophet, I dismiss him offhand right off the bat. Amen? How many times does a prophet have to be wrong to be a false prophet? There you go. Game over. Amen? We need to test the spirits against the word of God. We need to love as Christ's love. And then we see the consequences of fellowship and it's victory over the world. It's assurance of salvation. How many of you know that you know that you know that you know if you were to die tonight, that you would close your eyes on earth and open them up in glory? Raise your hand. Christianity is not a hope so, it's a no so. And it's not because we're good, but because of his grace and his promises and we trust in him. Amen? And I'm tired of the deconstructing Christians. If you're deconstructing, you were never a Christian. Amen? If you're a progressive Christian, that's not, that's progressive. It's neither progressive nor Christian. It's the same old nonsense that was going on when Jesus was on the earth. Amen? We have the assurance of salvation, guidance in prayer, and freedom from habitual sin. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. So he's writing this to encourage fellowship amongst believers and to openly rebuke false teaching, to remind them of who Jesus is and what he has done, to remind them of the promises found in God's word and not to get distracted by the lies of the world. By the way, we have people calling themselves Christians today and by your fruit they shall know you. Our belief should be reflected in our behavior. Amen? We should be people of love and grace and mercy. So, He wants to emphasize the reality of the incarnation. Why? Because Jesus came in the flesh. The lie of the Gnostics is that he didn't. The emptiness of profession without practice, that if you profess to know the Lord, but you don't put it into practice, it's a waste of time. So grab your outline if you have it. Let me go through this, and then we'll get into the text. It's way down here in my notes. Okay, here we go. So the theme of, the, of John, 1 John, one of the main themes is fellowship. And we're going to see four resulting fruits of intimate fellowship with God. If you're, now, it's fellowship with each other, but even more importantly, we need to have fellowship with God. Do you know about God or do you know him? Do you know about Jesus or do you have intimate relationship with him? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? As I used to tell the youth group, are you married to Jesus because we're the bride of Christ? Amen. And so it goes beyond knowing about him, but knowing him. And when we know the Lord, when we have intimate fellowship with the Lord, it produces happiness. Now again, joy that comes from the Lord has nothing to do with our circumstances and everything to do with who we are in Christ. See, it doesn't matter what happens in the world around us. If you're waiting for everything to be perfect, to be happy, you're not going to be happy very often. But if you have the Lord, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy, and the joy of the Lord shall renew our strength, amen? And it's the joy of the Lord that we can have even in the midst of the greatest trials of life. And we're going to see that fellowship, intimate fellowship with the Lord and with each other produces happiness. It also protects holiness. You know, the enemy seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And if he can't take you to hell with him, he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God while you're here. He wants to distract you or even disqualify you from ministry by having you caught away by the things of the world. And we all have to deal with that every day. But here's the reality. You're going to become like the people you hang out with. Bad company corrupts good morals. If you hang out with the world, you become like the world. If you hang out with the Lord and his people, again, it will protect your holiness. There's a conviction that comes when we hang around with other believers. Amen? I've never had a bunch of Christians invite me to a strip club. It's never happened. 
They don't do that, amen? They don't invite you to go out and get lit. They don't invite you to go out and, do, you know, flirt with women when you're married. They don't do that. They hold you accountable, amen? And we want people around us who will hold us accountable and will encourage us in our walk with the Lord. So it produces happiness, it protects holiness, it prevents heresy. Here's what happens, you know, by the way, these messages that these new messages these people get, they always tend to be alone when it happens. Some angel showed up to them out in the desert somewhere and dropped off some golden plates that they lost. And then they wrote this new thing and then they go tell people and people believe it. You know why they believe it? Because they're not an intimate fellowship with God and they're not an intimate fellowship with other believers. Amen? Because if we're hanging out with other believers and we're spending time in God's presence, we will quickly recognize heresy. Amen? We'll quickly recognize that this is not from the Lord. By the way, Pride Month. Pride Month. We have one day to recognize those who died in war for us. We have one day, that's Memorial Day, we have one day for those who served in the military. God bless you for those of you who did for us, amen? And that's Veterans Day. We have one day to remember when Jesus was born and one day to remember when he rose from the dead. We have Christmas and Easter and sexual perversion gets a month. That's the world we're living in today, Amen? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Pride is a sinful and wicked thing. Amen? And you know what? We love everyone, but it is perversion. It is wrong. It is contrary to the word of God. And we will not celebrate it or affirm it, just like we'll affirm the sin in my life or in yours. Amen? We don't do that. Prevents heresy. It also provides hope. When you spend time in fellowship, when you're spending time with the Lord, Hey, I'll tell you what, I've needed some hope since my son died. It's heavy. Man, I miss that boy. But you know what brings me hope? The Lord and the promise of eternal life. And because he sent his son to die, I'm going to see my son again. Amen? But you know what? If I didn't have the Lord, I don't know what I would do. And you know, and again, my mom, my brother, my son all died in about a year. And, and again, heaven's better. And they're doing better than all of us. But we, and we grieve, but not as those without hope. And so as we spend intimate time with the Lord, we have hope. We have peace in the midst of the storm. And praise God for that. Repeated throughout the letter, we'll see these three terms repeatedly. The deity of Christ. Jesus Christ is God. Amen? He's not a God. He's not with God. He's not near God. He is God. He's not a created being. He is the creator of all things. He always has been and he always will be. He was the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That's the God that we serve. Amen? So the deity of Christ. We're also going to see walking in obedience. Again, we don't earn heaven by good works, but if we've been saved, we will, our lives will produce fruit. Amen? So it's not faith or works or faith plus works. It's faith that produces good works. Amen? And so we're going to see obedience. The highest form of worship is obedience. It says to obey is better than sacrifice and the heat and the fat of lambs. And then finally, we're going to see the word love. By the way, that word gets thrown around a lot. Oh, I love, I love tacos and I love my wife and I love the 49ers, and I love Jesus. Those had better be different. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> and so the reality is we're going to see the love of God 
And we're going to see the exhortation for us. They shall know us by the love we have one for another. And I tell you guys this, and I'm, and I'm, I'm not just saying this, and I mean this from the depths of my heart. I love every single one of you more than you will ever know. I love you because the Lord loves me. And you know what? He gave me a, a supernatural love for you. And we have a supernatural love for each other. Amen? The body of Christ. So we see the theme of fellowship, producing happiness, protects holiness, prevents heresy, provides hope. We'll see the deity of Christ walking in obedience. And then we'll see the emphasis on love. Now, this morning's text, we're only going to look at four verses uh, because we had some background time. But how to experience joy in the midst of trials, difficulty, and suffering. We're going to look at the fullness of joy. If you have your outline, there's five points there. Let's take a look at those. First of all, remember that our Savior and His promises haven't changed. Amen? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? So the Lord does not change. And you'll hear people, this one guy that keeps popping up on my phone saying, well, you know, Jesus was a racist and he had to learn how to deal with racism. And then he recognized his frailties. But of course he learned along the way. Stop it. (laughs) So nauseating. You don't know the Jesus of the Bible. Amen. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Amen. He loves you so much. He'd rather die than live without you. He does not change. He will not change. His promises haven't changed. The promise of eternal life to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He will never leave you nor forsake you. While we were yet, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Those promises don't change. Number two, pursue intimate fellowship with God from knowing about him to knowing him. Number three, boldly declare the truth to others. This is how we have joy. Don't be distracted by false teaching, but fulfill the great commission. Number four, stay focused on the fact that your fellowship is with the Lord and other believers, not the world. Amen? Now, we want to minister to the world. We want to interact with the world. We're called, that's our mission field. But we don't have fellowship with them. It's a ministry. And then finally, know that the source of our joy is based on where we stand with the Lord not our circumstances, because our circumstances and our feelings will lie to us. Amen? All right, let's begin there looking at the fullness of joy, how to experience joy in the midst of trials, difficulty, and suffering. Remember that our Savior and His promises haven't changed. Now watch how He starts this letter. Usually when you see a letter, they start off with who He's writing it to, my beloved, you know, the church in Antioch, the church in Ephesus, and they talk about, and they, they say all these things, and it's from the apostle Paul who wrote it to you, and, and there's all this, there's this, you know, greeting at the beginning. He doesn't say his name, he doesn't say, he just gets to it. And I think he gets to it, because like I said, he may, he's probably the last living apostle. All the other apostles have been martyred, and he's hearing the false teaching that is being spread throughout the world at the time, and he wants to, by the power of the Holy Spirit within him, bring, bring correction and bring it immediately. And this, and this is the most black and white letter in the Bible. There's no messing around here. It's not, you might want to maybe think about possibly at some point considering. It's not doing that. It just tells you straight up, and I'll tell you what, I love that. Amen? It says there, that which is from the beginning. Have you ever started a letter with that? That which is from the beginning. 
Without even a brief introduction, we can sense the burden and urgency in John's heart to bring swift correction to the Gnostic teaching concerning the person of Jesus Christ. Those claiming to have special knowledge from God. We're the Gnostics. We have special knowledge from God. And every time someone has special knowledge from God, it never agrees with the word of God. So we know it's not from God. It's from the enemy. Amen? It's a false prophet. So Gnostics, again, the word for knowledge. John is a burden and hits the ground running. They believed, the Gnostics believed they had, again, private knowledge, that they were in the know. They taught that Jesus, again, was a created being, that he was not deity, but that the Christ spirit came upon him at baptism. I heard a guy say that not long ago. You know, and I've even, I even saw in a Christian, you know, it's not a Christian movie. Somebody gave me this movie when I was working uh, in my office in Agora Hills, and she helped produce this movie about Jesus when he was a child. And she goes, oh, you're a pastor. I want you to watch it and see what you think. And so I watched it and I said, you should have talked to me before you finished it. Because this is a mess. Oh, you're not going to recommend it to your church? I'm like, no, it's heresy. I'm not recommending it to anybody. At one point in the movie, Jesus figures out he's the Messiah. Exactly. That's heresy. Amen. One day he's like, oh, I think I'm this Messiah. Stop it. People who don't know the Lord should not make movies about Jesus. Amen? You don't know him. You can't make a movie about him. That, what about that Noah disaster that came out a few years back? Here's what happened. You know what would be amazing? Just open the Bible and, and make a movie and just use the words that are in here. God's the best scriptwriter on the planet. Amen? So they taught that Jesus was a created being and the spirit fell upon him in his baptism and departed from him before he was crucified. And John just says, from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. He's always been. He's not a created being. He's been there from the beginning. From before all time, outside of time and space, before there was time, before there was space, before there was anything, he existed. I love the headaches when thinking about the greatness of our God. You ever think about that? Our God is so great. You ever get a head? Like, where was he before? He was there. Where was he before? He was there. Well, where was he? 10 billion. He was there. So there was no time. Well, what was there without time? What was there before there was space? Your head's going to explode. Amen? He holds the whole world, the, 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 the galaxies in the span of his hand. Guys, that's our God. Amen? And he's for us. And we should not be afraid. Amen? Have you ever thought about the fact that the Bible tells us that he knows the numbers, number of hairs on everyone's head on the planet? Are you kidding me? He knows every detail about your life. He knows every thought. How can he know? He knows what every one of us is thinking at all times. Guys, our God is outside. I mean, he's amazing. Amen? And then they're trying to make him less. And that's what the cults do. They make Jesus less and man more. You're going to be God of your own planet. You too can have, right? And they make man, God, man less and God more. In the beginning, it says in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jehovah's Witnesses put an A after was. He was a God. He's not a God. He's the only true and living God. Amen? So in the beginning, Jesus. In the beginning, Jesus. Always has been Jesus. It says in Micah, but you, but you, Bethlehem, 
Though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come for to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. It says in Micah that the one who would be born, this is about 500 years before Jesus came, that the one that would be born would be one who came from everlasting, who always has been and always will be. And so these guys are teaching what is clearly contrary to scripture, and he just hits the ground running that which is from the beginning. He's not created, he's creator. He's not just a spirit, he came in human flesh. The word there, everlasting, is beyond the vanishing point, from eternity past, before there was time. By the way, was Muhammad there before there was time? Joseph Smith, Charles Taze Russell, uh, you know, go, let's go down, L. Ron Hubbard, who proclaimed to be God, and then he died, amen? The reality is that all these proclamations that are made are false proclamations because they were all created beings and Jesus Christ is the creator and he's the only one that proved himself to be God by triumphing over sin and death, amen? So Jesus is not a good created being but always has been God from eternity past. That same lie is told over and over and over today. Already proven again these false teachers were puffed up with themselves and thought they were in the know. Anybody who's not humble, I'm already concerned about where you're at because we are to humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord. The more we know the Lord, the more humble we ought to be. Amen? To know him better is to love him more and to recognize how desperately we need him. So from the beginning, not only has Jesus always existed, but has his message has never changed. Look what it says here. From the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, with our, looked upon and with our hands handled concerning the word of life. So he's talking about Jesus. And look what he says. I've heard him teach. I've seen him with my own eyes. I've looked upon him, which means I've gazed upon him. I've, I've invested in him. I've gotten to know him. And then it says, I handled him. Well, that kind of blows the whole, he's a phantom mentality, doesn't it? I grabbed a hold of him. I felt his flesh. I put my head on his chest, is what John would say. And then he says, the word of life. So point one be there, remember that our Savior and his promises haven't changed and pursue intimate fellowship with God. In the first verse, he's refuting again the Gnostic heresy. Another one taught that since matter was evil, the body was evil, but the spirit was good, and Jesus could only come as a spirit because the body is evil. The reality is that our bodies are just tents that we live in, and it's the, the part of us that's on the inside that chooses to sin. Amen? The body is the mechanism we use to sin, but the sin out of the overflowing of man's heart, his mouth speaks. And again, Jesus came, they taught only as the spirit, and as we will see in verse two, the word of life was manifest among us. In John 1, 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the word. He came in human flesh. He's not a phantom. And Jesus, John lists four ways he interacted with him. First of all, he heard him speak. Can you imagine? He spent three years with Jesus and heard every sermon. He was at the Sermon on the Mount. He was there when Jesus taught the crowds. 
He was there when Jesus was just hanging out with the 12 of them and pouring into them. He went up on the Mount of Transfiguration with the Lord and saw him revealed in his glorified body. He was there when Jesus healed the man with the withered hand, when he healed the blind, when he gave, gave sight to them, when he healed the lame, and when, when he performed, when he fed 5,000 with the little kid's lunch. He was there for all the miracles. He saw it all. He heard every message that was taught. And then he had personal, intimate fellowship with the Lord himself. He walked with him for three years. The word heard there in the tense is a completed occurrence in the past with a continuing impact in the present. Here's what he's saying. I heard from the Lord and 50 years later, it's still ministering to me. I heard it way back then. I heard what he said and it still is impacting my life today. Then he said, I've seen him with my eyes. The word seen there is a past completed action with a present on on, an ongoing impact. He saw not just with spiritual vision, but he saw him in the flesh. He saw Jesus walk on water. He saw Jesus again at the Mount of Transfiguration, and he was there at the cross. Thirdly, he looked upon him more than just a quick glance, but a long studying gaze searching gaze, looking upon the Lord. The apostles watched Jesus intensely for several years. They saw the unmistakable reality of who he is, Lord, God, Savior, and Messiah. Remember when people would walk away, when Jesus would give a tough message, and he turned the apostles, specifically Peter, and said, are you going to go too? What did they say? Who else has the words of eternal life? Where else are we going? Where else would I go? Where else would you go? Amen? Jesus is the answer. He had supernatural power over demons, cast them out. By the way, Satan's real, but he's toast and he lost. Amen? He does not compare to God in any way, shape, or form, and greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So we don't have to fret about Satan, and we don't need to give him too much credit. Let God deal with him, and you just keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen? Let's keep our eyes on the Lord. Not only that, he had the authority to forgive sins and to grant eternal life. He would forgive people and let them know. Remember the thief on the cross? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That's our savior, amen? Here's a man that lived a sinful and wicked life, was being crucified, something that only the, the harshest of criminals, and that's so, tra- you know, Jesus was taking our place. We deserve to be there. And he forgives him with a word, and now that man's in paradise. We're gonna meet that guy someday. Scripture only records a fraction of all Jesus did during his time of public ministry. Did you know that? The Bible tells us this is just a small percentage. So what we see, John saw infinitely more. And all of that has stuck with him. It's transformed him. He has heard him. He has seen him. He has looked upon our Savior. John the Apostle had a front row seat, ample proof that Jesus was indeed God in human flesh. Finally, and our hands have handled. So much for the, again, in the no phantom theory. Handled to feel or to grope for, like like somebody just reaching out, like if you're in a dark room and you're reaching out trying to grab a hold of something. And that's what the word was. He reached out and he grabbed a hold of the Lord. He had his hands upon him. Jesus used the same word in Luke when he said, handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. So he knew, this, he knew this heresy was coming. And he told him, look, come and, come and grab. Grab a hold of me. I'm not just a spirit. Touch and see that I have bones, that I have flesh. The Lord encouraged Thomas to touch him after the resurrection. 
He told him, reach out and put your finger here. Look at my hands and reach out your hand here and put it in my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. And again, John knew it for many reasons, but can you imagine putting your head on the chest of our Savior? Can you imagine that intimacy and that closeness? And then someone comes along and said, he was just a spirit. He's a created being. And now you know why, Jesus, uh, why, why John's fired up as he's writing this letter. Amen? He's refuting that false gospel. And then he says there, concerning the word of life. The word, word there is logos. It's the same as John 1.1 1, 1 and John 1.14. The word became flesh. By the way, you're, if you have a good Bible, word should be capitalized. You know why it's capitalized? Because that's Jesus. Amen? It's, a, it's, it's him. It's the word. And he is the word. So John's credentials, he heard him teach, he saw him, he studied him, he touched him, he walked with him, he knew him, and these false teachers some 50 years later had never been anywhere near him. They don't know about him. And that's why when people who don't know the Lord make proclamations about the Bible, I just saw these five guys talking on, online the other day, and they're all like, and it's just recently that people really think this is the word of God, just stop it. And you have people that make proclamations like that and proclaiming to be wise, they become as fools. Amen? They claim to have special knowledge of the true meaning of his word, these Gnostics, but had never actually heard him teach. They claimed he had no physical body, but they had never even seen him, let alone studied him or touched him as Jesus had. See, guys, we have a relationship with Jesus Christ that the world doesn't have. So we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. We shouldn't be surprised when people have no idea what the Word of God says, act like they have no idea what the Word of God says. Because we know the truth, and you know what that means? We need to not keep it to ourselves because these people need to hear about Jesus. Amen? And we need to be unashamed of the gospel. He spent three years with him, day and night. He knew him, he heard him, he watched him, and he touched him. So who are you going to believe? Never heard, never saw, never touched, or walked in intimate fellowship with him for three years. Jesus, the word, the life revealed to us the heart and mind of God. He is our example. People have said, I wish I could see God. Well, Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father's like, look at Jesus. Jesus, the word, God's communication to us. Jesus, the word, the truth, our example. Jesus, the word of life revealed to us the heart and mind of God. He is our example. John knew him. He heard him. He touched him. He walked with him. And again, the Gnostics did not even know him. So here's the result, false teaching. And false teaching usually comes because somebody has a private interpretation of scripture. They tell it to somebody else and they believe that man instead of believing the word of God. And that's why I want you all to have Bibles because I want to make sure, you know what? I'm not the authority. The word of God is. Amen. And so you want to make sure that you know the word of God. You see what the word of God says because he and he alone is the authority. I'm just proclaiming what's already been delivered to us by God. So false teaching is based on human understanding instead of divine wisdom. People can't figure out what a woman is, <laughs> what a man is. It's insanity. But it's all attacks on Genesis. In the beginning, God, they deny the existence of God. God created the male and female. They can't even figure that part out. God created male and female for marriage. They're denying that. 
God created all things. They come up with evolution. See, they come up with lies created by men to attack the truth of God's word. And that's why we need to know the truth so we can refute the lie and recognize it for what it is. Amen? They claim, many, many today claim to have knowledge, trying to speak with authority about one they've never met and a book they've never read. I love when people tell me, oh, you're a pastor. Well, the Bible's filled with contradictions. I love that. Name one. Hamada, hamada, hamada. Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, 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 yeah. So you're, you're listening to somebody online and you're reverberating what they say, but you've actually never read the Bible. And that's the sad and tragic truth. What the world falls for is foolish. Remember the Da Vinci Code? The movie came out. The painting was telling us the truth. Uh, we have the Bible. We have the Word of God. Additional books, the Mormon Jehovah's Witnesses, flesh-centered message, because they have not truly sought the Lord in his word. They have not come. Here's what happens. If somebody sincerely opens the Bible, seeking to know if it's true or not, you know what you call those people? Christians, because they get saved. Amen? Josh McDonald wrote a book, or Josh McDowell, excuse me, wrote a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and he was a scientist who wanted to prove the Bible was wrong. And as he studied the Bible, he kept the title, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, but it's evidence that the Bible is true because after he read it and studied it, he got saved, and now he's an outspoken Christian who debates other scientists all the time to show them that the Word of God is true. Amen? It's biblical ignorance that keeps us from the truth. By the way, that's one of the problems in the church today. Most Christians are biblically ignorant. I don't know, I don't know if it's still true, but I saw a survey a while back that 83% of all Christians have never read through the whole Bible. We only got one book. <laughs> one book. Got a lot of versions of it. You can even listen to it in audio. Amen? Amen? Open it, read it, obey it. Amen. Open it, read it, obey it. Those who don't read the word find themselves easy. Pray for the lie. To guard against the falling of for the lies of false doctrine, you need to know the truth of God's word. Point number three there, boldly declare the truth to others. Look at verse two. The life was, what's the word there? Manifested. So in the beginning, he always has been, and then he was manifested. He became a man. He was incarnate. He took on human flesh. Again, it destroys the lie of the Gnostics that Jesus only came in spirit, not in flesh. The word manifest there means to reveal or to make visible that which was once hidden. So Jesus always has been, but then he was manifest and took on human flesh. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Bible tells us. As a perfect reputation of the Father, and Jesus again said, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father. Note the response to having experienced intimate fellowship with the Lord. Notice what he says. The life was manifested. He made it was human flesh. And we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. We bear witness. I testify. I charge. I give evidence. I bear record. I'm giving testimony that Jesus is exactly who he says he is. The Great Commission, though commanded, go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Guys, we are all called. That, that is a commission not for pastors, not just for people that walk with the Lord for a really long time. Every one of us is called to go therefore into all the world and make disciples. Who are you discipling and who's discipling you right now? Whose life are you speaking into? 
And who, are you, who, who may be more spiritually mature than you is speaking into your life. I've been a pastor for 34 years, and I saw five, five six pastors that I contact, that I call, that speak into my life to this day. Because guys, we never arrive, and we can always grow more spiritually. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. We all can continue to grow in our relationship with the Lord. The supernatural outpouring from the life of one who is walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord. The more you love him, you can't help but be stirred up to tell other people about him. Amen? Do you remember, how many married people got in the room? Okay. Do you remember when you, when you met your, your spouse and you were in love? You remember that? <laughs> and you would just sit and talk and talk and talk. And then you couldn't wait to introduce, you know, you're now husband or now wife to people. Oh, I want you to meet. And you just take them around because you love them. And you can't wait to take them home to meet your parents. And you can't wait. We love it when they come to your office so you can introduce them to everybody at work. You know why? Because you love them. You love to introduce other people to them. Amen? Guess what? We're to love God more. And because we love him, we should want to introduce him to everyone. Because here's the good news. He's not just our savior. He can be theirs as well. Amen? He's not just my best friend. He can be your best friend too. Guys, we should not keep it to ourselves. The enemy wants us to be quiet, to keep it to ourselves. Heart from which John writes his exhortive letters, a burden to proclaim the truth to those being drawn away by false doctrine. It's been a few years, but I had some Jehovah's Witnesses in my neighborhood, and they came to my door. They don't come anymore, but they came to my door. <laughs> and I felt led to follow them around the neighborhood. Just stand on the sidewalk, and they get knocked. False prophets, don't talk to them. They're preaching a false gospel, you don't need to hear that. Are you going to follow us everywhere you go? I got all day. Got in their car and left. You know what? That's my neighborhood. That's our mission field. You need to get out of here. Again, I get into that. Yeah, we, but here's the sad part there are people, there are cultists who are willing to do more for a lie than we'll do for the truth. Amen? When's the last time you shared your faith with somebody? Notice he says they're declared to you. Announce, bring word, report, tell. Not a secret to be kept, but a promise to be declared. Eternal life. Who was manifested? The one who always has been. Has not a beginning or an end. By the way, do you know that we have a beginning, but we have no end? Every being who's ever been created is eternal going forward. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere. It's just a matter of where we will spend eternity. Smoking or non-smoking, amen? <laughs> where are we going to spend eternity? <laughs> Old youth pastor stuff, sorry. <laughs> Jesus never had a beginning. Then it says that he was with the Father. Before the beginning, he already was. Jesus is eternal, God made manifest in the flesh, one with the Father. John 1 says, again, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God, and he was in the beginning with God. No other religious leader can say that. No other uh, prophet can say that, because they're all created, and he alone is the creator. False teachers claim to know more than what's written in the Word of God, and in their arrogance, they're claiming to know more than Jesus. Pastor Chuck tells the story. He was on a radio program and 
And they were talking about, they were debating Isaiah, because some people think there were two Isaiahs that wrote Isaiah. And the reason they think that is because Isaiah is so accurate, they can't believe that a guy actually prophesied that accurately. So they think that one guy wrote the first half, another one wrote the second half, because he'd have to have written it afterward. Because like, for example, he described crucifixion so perfectly, that's impossible. 700 years before anybody was crucified, unless God wrote it. And so he's debating with this guy, and, and Chuck just says, you know, bro, look, Jesus quoted both the beginning and the end of Isaiah, and he attributed them both to Isaiah, so there's only one Isaiah. And then the guy said to him, well, you know, that was Jesus, and that was thousands of years ago, and we know more than Jesus now, because we've studied the word. And Chuck hung up the phone. And they called him back on the radio program and said, I think we got to, he goes, dude, anybody thinks he knows more than Jesus? I got no time for that. Amen? People think they know better than the Lord. Have you heard people talk about, well, if Jesus would let that happen, and then they cuss and mock him, why would he allow mass shootings? Well, again, mass shootings are horrible. Amen? Can we say amen to that? But you know why there's mass shootings? Because we have people that need to get saved. We have people that are mentally ill, people that are, their lives are a disaster, and they're following after the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? And Jesus came with life and life more abundant. God the Father spoke, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Remember this baptism? We see the Trinity. Heaven opens up, the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove, and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We don't have that for any other prophet, do we? Because only Jesus is God. Never said about a Gnostic or philosophy teacher. Who took philosophy in college? Oh, Lord help. Well, you know, for me, the sky is blue, but my perception of blue might be different. And my reality might be different than your reality. And what I think, ah, oh, I just want to throw up. Amen? It's just nauseating. I told you, I got, I got, I immediately got kicked out of that class. Because he said one day, if you can define truth, if anybody believes in absolute truth, stand up. So I stood up. I had my football jersey on, and he goes, and he goes I played football in college. He goes, oh, the big dumb jock in the back is going to define truth for us. This will be great. And it's one of those stadium seatings with about 250 students. So I stood up, and he said, so what's truth? I said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ is the truth. So he and I were batting heads for about two months. And one day, and I, you know, maybe this isn't the best tactic I've said with some of you. He had me come at the front of the desk one day, and he had this chain around his neck that he talked about all the time that had this emblem on it. And he was talking to me about we all have our own moral relativism, and we all can believe what we believe, and we can believe differently. And it doesn't mean that you're wrong or I'm wrong. We can just both believe differently, which is absolute hypocrisy. It's stupid. Amen? <laughs> so this is what got me kicked out of class. I reached across and snapped the chain off his neck. And I was 258 pounds and kind of a big guy at the time, and he wasn't so much. And I said, in my reality, stealing's not wrong. In my reality, this is my chain. And in my reality, I'm bigger than you. And I put it in my pocket. 250 people in the class, whoa. I said, so in my moral relativism, it's relative that I can take your stuff and that I can crush you to fine powder if necessary. And he didn't know what to say except, get in my office. And we went in there and he kicked me out of the class. But the point is that philosophers don't have answers. Amen? 
the world doesn't have answers. There's no moral relativism. There's no my truth and your truth. Is there anything more nauseating when someone says, I'm living my truth? There's no my truth, there's the truth. Amen? Are you living the truth? False teachers, prophets, messiahs of today. Again, none of them are mentioned. It's not worldly wisdom, man-made knowledge, or some secret private revelation, but intimate fellowship with the Father that can only come through knowledge of the Son as we are drawn by the Spirit. A relationship with the Father is drawn by the Son, uh, knowing the Son, drawn by the Spirit. The end of verse 3 says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you may have fellowship with us. The reason that this letter was written to openly and clearly declare the true source of intimacy and fellowship with God, that which John knew by experience. Did John know Jesus? What's the answer? He knew him intimately. He knew him better than anybody on the planet when he wrote this, because more than likely, all the apostles had already been martyred. So he's the one that knew Jesus the longest. He knew Jesus the best. He knew Jesus the most. And he writes this letter about him from a position of, I don't know about him. I know him. I've touched him. I've held him. I've seen him. I've heard him. I watched the miracles. I heard him teach. I saw him ascend back into heaven. I was at the cross when he was crucified and heard him say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I saw him after he was resurrected from the dead and he's writing this letter to a bunch of people who are teaching a bunch of lies about the one that he knows. And guys, there are people telling lies about the one that we know. Amen? In direct contrast to the false doctrine of the Gnostics that so many had fallen for and more were tempted to follow, he had openly and clearly declares Jesus for who he is. True intimacy is not through secret knowledge or worldly wisdom, but through the right relationship with the Lord. The word fellowship there again is koinonia. It means association, community, communion, to have in common. John's a man of God walking in intimate fellowship with almighty God has a burden to draw those persecuted and potentially tempted and confused first century Christians into a place of faith and common fellowship. See, the early Christians were being persecuted and some, because of the persecution, were pulling back. Others, because of false teaching, were being duped by a lie. So there was outward persecution and inward corruption that was drawing people away. And, and, and uh, John's whole heart here was to get them back focused on Jesus and him alone. It's a burden to draw those persecuted and potentially tempted and confused for ancestry Christians into a place of faith and common fellowship. This letter was written 2,000 years ago to draw men and women into white fellowship with God, and the same is true today, to draw us back into intimate fellowship with God. Do you know about him or do you know him? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? Point number four, stay focused on the fact that your fellowship was with the Lord and other believers. He says there at the end of verse four again, fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. John, not burdened to see them join the church, become members in good standing, not trying to get them to follow him, not looking for a donation. He wrote the letter with no ulterior motive, but to see them walking in intimate fellowship with the Lord. That's the answer for everything in life, walking in intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. How do you fix a broken marriage? You walk in intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. How do you overcome a, a struggle or an addiction? You walk in intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. How do you overcome grief that hits you so hard in this world? You walk in intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. How do you, how do you uh, again, 
have joy in the midst of trials and difficulties and suffering. You walk in intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You're as close to God as you want to be. If you're not as close as you used to be, who moved? Amen? When you spend time in the Word, you get closer to the author. I love what my buddy, Pastor Ron McCoy, says. This is the only book that not only do you read it, but it reads you. It reads your heart. It draws you closer to the Lord. The way we can live this life, have a a life that's filled with fruit, an abundant life, a life that impacts a lost and dying world. The only way we can do that is to walk in intimate fellowship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says we're to desire the word of God more than our necessary food. You've heard me say it. If you opened your Bible as much as you opened your fridge, you'd be in better shape and be on fire for Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? And we need more time with the Lord. It is our fellowship with the Lord and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that, it, that assures us of our heavenly inheritance that brings us peace in the face of persecution and knits us together with other believers. Amen? True fellowship is sharing Jesus, what we have in common. Too often we find other reasons to fellowship with other people. We get together with people that are single like us or married like us. We get together with kids our same age. We get together with people who like to do the same things we do. But the reason we should get together is because we all share Jesus. Amen? My assistant pastors in Santa Cruz, my main assistant pastor, who I served for 10 years and still one of my best friends on the planet, his name is Bill Bjorkman. He was my main assistant. He and I had nothing in common. The guy hated sports. I'm like, are you? How, what? He performed in plays and dramas. I'm like, dude, he was, on, he was in the band. You know, we made fun of the band people, the band geeks when I was in high school. Point I'm making is, we, from the world's perspective, and by the way, he liked it about 27 degrees out. I like it about 127 degrees. I mean, everything. Complete opposites. But you know why he's one of my closest friends? Because we have Jesus in common. See, the real commonality is not sports teams or, or, you know, working out or food that we like or clubs we belong to. It's having Jesus Christ in common, keeping Jesus at the center of our relationship, talking about Jesus, praying together, spending time together in his word. Closer relationships come from closeness to Jesus. Have you ever done marriage counseling with me or most people? I always draw a triangle when I start. Here's God. Here's the husband. Here's the wife. The closer you get to the Lord, the closer you get to each other. The further you get from the Lord, the further you are from each other. If one's really close to the Lord and one's really far from the Lord, their relationship's not as close as it could be if they were close, both close to the Lord. Does that make sense? God created marriage. You're one flesh in him. Verse four, final verse. Last point. Know that the source of our joy is based on where we stand with the Lord. And these things I write to you that your joy may be full. True joy comes only from intimate fellowship with God. There's no... The Gnostics were very legalistic. And a lot of churches today are. People send me stuff and you'll have a guy rant for 20 minutes in a message on why men shouldn't have beards or why women shouldn't wear earrings. And I'm like, you got a Bible verse for any of that? 
And they beat, you know, and it's legalism, 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 legalism. And there's no joy. And it's condemning. It's pharisaical. You know, the only time, you know, who does Jesus get mad at? Not the woman caught in adultery. Not the woman at the well. Not the tax collector. The Pharisees, who he called a brood of vipers. He called them a bunch of snakes. Why? Because they were self-righteous and legalistic. And you know what? As Christians, we should err on the side of grace over legalism every single time. Amen? Let's be gracious. Some of them believed they had to punish themselves to prove their love for God. The Gnostics would like stab themselves. You see tribes today still that put needles through their arm to prove their love for God. That's what the, the prophets of Baal did. They would cut themselves for Baal. You're cutting yourself for a God that doesn't exist. And, it's, and then you have the others that allow perversion to be a part of what they follow. Either extreme self-loathing or punishing the body or debauchery, giving up, to, giving up into one's fleshy desires is, is a disaster. Joy can only come from a right relationship with Jesus. Jesus is the source of all joy. Amen? You cannot have joy. You can have temporary happiness, but you cannot have eternal joy apart from Jesus. If you're struggling, if you're discouraged, I want to encourage you to tap into the source of joy. Spend intimate time with the Lord. Remain in fellowship with other believers. Open up his Bible. Open the word, read it, and obey it. It seems that too much of what we call joy is simply conditional happiness. As long as the conditions are right, I'm happy. If the conditions are bad, it's bummer city, and I can't do it anymore. It says in Psalm 116, I'll finish with this, thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. So where is their joy? In the house of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, spending time with the Lord. That's where joy comes from. And if you don't have joy, I, I encourage you, spend more time with the Lord and you'll find it again. Amen? Remember, Jesus others yourself. J-O-Y, Jesus others yourself. And that's how you have joy. Amen? So in closing, and by the way, this book just gets heavier. It's good stuff. It's a great letter. So, the fullness of joy. Remember that our Savior and His promises haven't changed. Aren't you glad? Same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't adapt to the, to the new culture. He knew it was coming. Pursue intimate fellowship with God. If you leave here with nothing else, remember that. Pursue intimate fellowship with God. Don't have a distant relationship with God. Don't know about Him, but know Him better. Boldly declare the truth to others. Stay focused on the fact that your fellowship is with the Lord and other believers and know that the source of our joy is based on our stand with the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. I pray for everyone who's here this morning. And you know that different people are going through different things right now. And maybe they're overwhelmed. Maybe they're in the midst of great difficulty. Maybe they're heartbroken. Maybe they're grieving. Lord, whatever they're going through, Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would pour out your joy upon them as they draw closer to you. Lord, the, the joy of the Lord shall renew our strength. Lord, may we be people filled 
with joy, walking in intimate fellowship with you. We thank you for the word. We thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you that we've been forgiven. You know us best. You love us most. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We have the promise of heaven. And Lord, may we walk in those promises. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen.